0: And welcome. To another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, creator and host of Behind the Lens. Film critic, known U.S. and abroad. You can find my movie reviews and interviews in print and online 24-7, including BehindTheLensOnline.net. But every Monday, I am right here on Adrenaline Radio with Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line. And we are now in our fourth year and... Have had some thrilling guests so far last week. For those of you that missed it, Lou Diamond Phillips was live with us. And if you want to catch up and hear what uh, Lou had to say, which was one of my favorite interviews over the past four years, you can find the show on Stitcher, on iTunes, on BehindTheLensOnline.net, or on IndiePopcorn.fm. Once we go after live, we go, become a podcast so you can always find us. And today is another fun-filled show. I am very excited to have Mario Van Peeples with us today. Mario is going to talk about his latest show, Superstition, which just ended its season one run on the Sci-Fi Network. Uh, you, of course, can stream all 12 episodes on sci-fi.com backslash superstition. Backslash episodes. Um, I can't recommend this series highly enough. It's fascinating. It deals with the supernatural. It deals with the occult. It has time travel. It has history. It is one of the most polished shows on the air. And we're going to talk to Mario and keep our fingers crossed that we hear about a season two pickup uh, shortly. So, and for all you international listeners, Netflix just picked up Superstition. For international release, so all of you, if you don't can't stream it, wait. Netflix is going to bring it to you. Uh, we also have joining us today director Lisa France uh, can 't wait to talk to Lisa about her new do- her documentary, "Roll with me." Roll with me is beyond interesting in its concept and in its execution. Lisa is a former pro basketball player. She transitioned from basketball into stunts, where she was a successful stunt woman, and now turned filmmaker. She's done narrative features before, but this is her first documentary. And this is the story of Gabriel Cordell, paraplegic, who makes a 3,100-mile trek across the United States in his wheelchair. And it is not one of the fancy-dancy wheelchairs that... Uh, so many of you are probably thinking of. This is a regular hand-crank-the-wheels, plain old everyday wheelchair. Uh, And this is one journey I know a little bit about it, and filmmakers out there will are going to enjoy the things I'm going to ask Lisa about, because she ended up with 4,000 hours of film that she had to edit. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see how you cull down 4,000 hours of footage into a workable 90 minutes or so uh, of a documentary. So Lisa's joining us at the half-hour mark. Mario's going to join us at the quarter-hour mark. But before then, big doings this week, Academy Award nominations last week. Of course, as expected, Coco, uh, nominated for Best Animated Feature, The Shape of Water, which our regular listeners know I am a huge, huge, huge fan of, admirer of, and that is my pick. Uh, of all the nominees in so many categories this year. Um, you've heard a lot of my exclusive interviews here on the show. Others are on BehindTheLensOnline.net. Today we may get to uh, a, por- a second portion of production designer Paul Osterberry talking about The Shape of Water. Paul picked up an Oscar nomination last week. I uh, Just some amazing, amazing nominations this year. Uh, including Alexander Desplat, you heard his interview here. Carter Burwell uh, picked up a nomination also for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. You heard Carter's interview here. So it's going to be a fun next couple of weeks uh, as Academy voters are casting their ballots. And Spirit Award voters as well. We have some overlap uh, with Lady Bird, with Greta Gerwig, uh, and of course, One of my favorites, Rachel Morrison, the very first female cinematographer to pick up an Oscar nomination. This is beyond exciting. Uh, I had the great privilege of knowing for quite a while the very first female cinematographer who was admitted to the American Society of Cinematographers, Brienne Murphy. Brienne also won an Academy Award, a Science and Technical Award. But to see how the industry has come and what Rachel has now done to garner an Oscar nomination for her work on Mudbound, I am beyond excited. And it looks like I'm going to be talking to her again tomorrow uh, in another exclusive interview, which we'll bring you either online in print or here on the air. But there's another film we're going to talk about first before Mario calls, and that is Please Stand By an amazing film just opened on Friday limited release. It will be expanding, um, film that is, let us get our proper notes, uh, written by Michael Jalamco, and it is directed by the wonderful Ben Lewin. Ben, many of you may know, wrote and directed the sessions a few years ago, starring John Hawks, Helen Hunt, Ben directed Helen Hunt to an Oscar for her performance in the sessions. Um, he now directs Dakota Fanning, who plays an autistic young woman named Wendy, uh, and she ends up on a road trip. She is Star Trek obsessed, and it, her heart's desire, she is set on entering a contest, a screenwriting contest for a Star Trek movie that must be submitted to Paramount Studios two days after we start our film, which starts on Valentine's Day, and it involves Wendy heading out on her own after living under the care of a group home uh, for autistic and the disabled. She is so determined and intent on entering her screenplay in this competition that when all else fails, she sneaks out and ventures out on her own with her dog, Pete, mind you, and goes on an amazing road trip uh, that expands her world and ours as we watch it. I had a chance to. Over the weekend, I actually moderated a and a with Ben, and I was so privileged to do it and so thrilled. Um, he is one of the biggest supporters of uh, the disability community, diversity. Uh, he is on various committees through the Writers Guild, and he was very intent on authenticity with... This with Please Stand By. So, the first thing, of course, I got him to talk about was what attracted this script to him.
1: Autism is generally um, expressed through male characters. That, you know, most most uh, people on the spectrum are male. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that really interested me uh, was that the writer uh, uh, w- w- felt that it. he'd received that women with autism were more in need of emotional connection than Mm -hmm. men somehow, that they didn't live so easily in the world of abstractions anyway, just it intrigued me the idea of having a female character play a role that is usually played by guys
0: and of course the other interesting aspect of having the female character is having the female character who is so obsessed with Star Trek because yeah. we typically associate fandom for the Star Wars and the Star Treks with males
1: Yes, that's that's right but you, you know as, as, uh, as soon as I got this script I called a friend in Australia who has a daughter with autism of a similar age and as soon as I mentioned Star Trek oh yes, it's obvious I mean, you know the, the, the Trekkie connection with the autism community is quite profound and you know, after all, Spock um, is the first autistic hero, you might
0: say. And for those of you that, that see the film, you will Star Trek does play a very big part uh, in the construct of the script for Please Stand By, including the great use of Klingon. And yes, I have it on great authority from Ben that they tapped the world's preeminent, preeminent individual with the knowledge of the Klingon language so all the Klingon in the film uh, actually is authentic as are many of the locations which they shot at including Vasquez Rocks which for all the Trek fans out there you may remember when Captain Kirk was battling the Gorn in an early episode they actually shot that at Vasquez Rocks Ben went back there to shoot part of Please Stand By and a very seminal part of the film uh, to keep that, the, the Trek experience authentic as well as the autistic experience. But part and parcel to this film is the sensitivity and the uplifting nature of the film, and a lot of that comes from the visuals. So, of course, I had to ask Ben about working with his longtime cinematographer, Jeff Simpson. I'm curious, Ben, you work with Jeffrey Simpson uh, on the cinematography, and something that you do so often when... And you did this also with the sessions. So often when we are dealing with people who have some sort of disability or illness, directors will take a darker tone with the film, uh, more or less mirroring what they perceive to be the darkness of of having this disease or, or this disability. You go the opposite direction, and this is the second time you've done this now, and you do it here, and you and Jeffrey... You create a light visual tone throughout the entire film. You buoy the film with a lightness, so we never feel there's never pity. We never feel down. Wendy never looks downtrodden. You know, what were your considerations in designing that visual tonal bandwidth?
1: Um, you, you know, it's it's not actually um, designed. It's instinctive, and I think you. It- Um, you know, where their disability, if you want to call that, is pretty much incidental, Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, a kind of icing on the cake, Uh, I mean, or or, or really part of the whole tapestry of their personality rather than their trademark. I mean, I I, I don't know how... A... Most people who function with um, with some kind of you know. Do...
0: with your mid-shots and your close-ups and then you go wider. The further in Wendy's journey as she gets as she's heading to Paramount Studios, the wider your frame gets. Until, except for, you know, very, very powerful moments where she's very intent on she and Petey charging ahead. Yes. Otherwise, But I love the way you slowly, visually expand the frame for the audience as her world is expanding yeah, uh, I mean, and we're going to come back to more of my exclusive interview with ben lewin and the visual tone and tapestry of please stand by but right now i am thrilled i have to bring him on i can't wait i am thrilled to have mario van peoples with us hello my friend how are you
2: I'm good, how are you?
0: I am so thrilled to be talking to you again. Yeah. I mean, this is, I've got. i I've got to ask, I've already did the setup at the top of the show about superstition. Have you heard anything about a season two pickup yet, or is this in the fans' hands?
2: It's in the fans' hands, I think. Wow. <laughs> and it should be. Yes. You know, we, we, we know that we, uh, voting is important. And you vote with you know your dollar, your voice, your your ballot. That's important, right?
0: Well, I know I've binge. I mean, you know how much I loved it when we sat down back in December to talk about this with, uh, along with Morgana, and uh, it's just I had to binge watch the whole thing again. And that was after I've been watching the episodes as they were airing. So.
2: <laughs> uh, oh, great! So you saw it all pieced together again, which is great. Yeah. You saw the you saw the uh, last one, the one twelve.
0: Oh. And it's like, okay, I need a season two. Uh, we're not, we're not going to give away spoilers here, but I need a season two. This, this is just right. It, it, it ended, and yeah. I'm like, oh my god! I mean, this. I know
2: superstition. The, the finale is pretty. Uh Pretty intense. Oh. And what I what I liked about doing the finale, it's all all the pieces woven together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so characters that you've seen and <clears throat> you sort of find out why the Hastings have their house in La Rochelle. Because <clears throat> they built it on the... <clears throat> excuse me. The Earth has meridians just like the... Um, your body has pressure points. The Earth has pressure points. And this is an opening through which infernals can come. So it's sort of like building your... If you're the guardian of the gates of hell, building your station or your house right there at the gate
0: you know it's um, ki- it's kind of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer being built on top of the Hellmouth right it's you know yeah but because
2: yeah, all the mythology comes back to play you know mm-hmm. so you find out you know what the, the Meridian time traps are you find out um and also the other thing is that there are bigger things that come to play And one of the things we talked about before that I like about the show is that um It works on multi-layers. So, for Mm -hmm. example, we find out in the very early shows that the more that our species, humankind, is is, um, doing irreparable harm to the planet, the more the the infernals are coming through to sort of take us out and correct the balance.
3: Mm -hmm. So the
2: whole notion of who the bad guy is when we're the ones that are destroying the planet, uh, you know, becomes pretty tricky and pretty... uh,
0: you know, that, that's pretty complex. <laughs> this is one of the great things about superstition, Mario, is that you have so much history in here. You, you've got the Knights of Templar in here. You've got the environment and ecology addressed in here. You have family values. Um, you touch on everything. You and your writing team, that you've really put together, put so much thought into crafting the story of the Hastings family and you know, this whole you know, who would want to live in a funeral home and and run a cemetery? But they do. And you put it all together and explain the importance of this, and why, and the place in the universe in the grand scheme of things. And I just love it.
2: Oh, thank you. <clears throat> you know, what's fun about that is that if you give if if you have something that's entertaining and fun to watch, and then you know, on top of that, you have, you know, what I always call nu- nutritional value, things that make us think. Um, and th- then it's it's great because it's, it stays with you. It's not like something that just, it's just entertainment that just sort of goes away. It's that the, the conversation that we have in that one episode about that the women have and their varying points on abortion or the, when they have to bury the, the, uh, the, the white supremacist Klansmen and... Garvey, who's sort of more on the Black Lives Matter thing, is sort of like, why are we doing this? And B, who's you know, says, no, we, this is what we do. We may not have agreed with his choices in life, but we will honor him in death, and we will create a space where his family can come pay their respects, and, and with love, and, 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 and a, in a sort of, um, you know, in a, in a good environment to do our best. We will. In essence, no matter how they go, if they go high or they go low, we will go high. Mm -hmm. and So sometimes that's a tricky path for the Hastings family to watch, to walk. Sometimes we're more successful than others. (laughs) But um, I think ultimately it's a family that you want to spend. The Hastings are a family in superstition that you want to spend time with. And that's something that Joel, my writing uh, partner, talked about at length was that you know, even if there are no infernals on the screen, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna get to know this family that that at the core has this wonderful life-affirming um, point of view or zeitgeist on the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know, where did where did the idea for superstition come from? With all the intricate moving parts here, this isn't the kind of story that you just sit at the breakfast table one day and say, "Hey." You know, I think I want to write a film. I write a series about a family. They run a funeral home, a cemetery, and they deal with the beyond and alchemy. And I think that's what I'll do today. So th- this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: no, it's not. And, and you know, it, it, and as you point out, it's not. It's actually something that <clears throat> that's very rich in folklore. You think about, <clears throat> I say this. You take, you know, you take a the slaves, newly freed slaves, and Native Americans, and um, British, and Irish, and Jews, and, you know, Asians, and you mix this all together in this melting pot called America, and you do get sparks. You do get conflict, but you also get great um, art. You get great music, great folklore, and, of course, great superstition, and a lot of those superstitions are woven into the the old countries that all these different Americans are from. Mm-hmm. they native their motherlands, if you will. And uh so <clears throat> the idea the genesis of it <clears throat> was with um with uh Justin and Chris who were at Sci Fi network. They they identify that there were not a lot of multi culty families in this space or people of color in this space. The horror sort of thriller space. Mm-hmm. And they <clears throat> they came to me and Barry and um, and then we worked it around and we 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 met Joel and brought him into the mix and Joel brought Larry into the mix from six feet under which seemed like a good fit and so together we sort of all layered it up and and we started to research the mythology and and uh, the Templars and. Um, and the Moors, that was important mm-hmm. to do, that you had the mix of the Moors. I had, I had just done Roots, and I was very interested in West African and North African and, uh, history and mythology. And um, so we sort of pulled it all together, and it sort of came in layers. And then
3: excuse
2: me, part of the what I wanted to do was cast actors who weren't just about playing the role, but in actuality, in actuality were the role. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Robin is a really smart, fun, accomplished mother who's a terrific actor. Um, Brad had been in the military, been in the Marines, who plays my son, mm-hmm. Calvin. Um, uh, Demetria is not only a good, a great actor, she's a dancer and a singer as well. But, but beyond that, they're good people. We, you know, it sounds like people always say this, but we had no... We had no jerks on the set. We had people who were happy to be there. They were like, mm-hmm. man, we don't get to do this often. <laughs> we don't get to show a family like this often. Um, my own daughter, Morgana, who really fought and auditioned to play Garvey and, and brought her A game to that. And then Demetria, I mean, um, uh, Tatiana, who um, plays... Uh, um,
0: Tilly, the coroner. Tilly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Tilly. And, and and who really is, you know, developed this real quirky sort of fun take on Tilly. So so the, the, they brought a lot of, they, they knew they were in the mix with an actor, director, uh, and writers who would do their best to capture the beauty of what they brought. And that's why I think it's also so rich is that the actors brought their game. And, and you know, so if Brad could do you know, could see something and do a great kick, I would go, oh, that's the, you, you, let's do that. Let's just use it. <laughs> if, if, if Robin can speak French and I can speak French and the Hastings are multilingual and, of course, Isaac's been around for many years, uh, he's learned a lot of languages. So let's use that. Let's use Jasmine Guy's, you know, uh, great sort of cinematic history and, and television history on screen mm-hmm. and, and even her backstory with me. Let's use that. And so, we were. It was always growing. It was always a. It was always a living, um, moving document. You know the script,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that's part of the fun. So when we created an Infernal, the you know the initial thing when you create an Infernal is you think of what you've seen in Hollywood shown you before, which is this sort of pale Infernal with pointy ears. It goes, my gracious, <laughs> you know. And, and 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 then we talked about it when and it was Justin's idea on sci-fi. I said, why don't you go. You know, more a little more gangster with him, and I said, "Oh yeah, let's go more New Jack City with the Infernal." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, and then let that Infernal quote Curtis Mayfield's great song where he says, "If there's a hell below, we're all gonna go." Only he's got his Infernal's got his own spin on it, which is, "If there's a hell below, you're all gonna go." And it, and Isaac sort of. You know, hammering him about you know selling drugs and technically selling poison to kids, and he says, "Man, that's some hypocritical, hypocritical stuff right there, man." You human beings are poisoning the whole planet with your mm-hmm. pollution and greed. <laughs> yeah. Then he says, "You guys want to dance with the devil and and kill in the name of God, but God don't love you no more. That's why he's sending all this crazy weather to get rid of your ass." <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I mean <laughs> like, it.
0: It is so intricate. You really hear
2: some stuff on this show that you don't hear it on other You show. don't. <laughs>
0: But then you go beyond that, and you as a director, a producer, and then with your cinematographer, the production values, Mario, are off the charts. This is, I mean, this is so polished. The cinematography is so rich, so gorgeous. It really, really starts taking off in Episode 3, I have to tell everybody. It's beautiful in Episodes sure. 1 and 2, but Episode 3... You really, when the dredge gets introduced and the cinematography just explodes, but the production values are insane, very, very cinematic, not something you expect to see on a series.
2: Right. Uh, thank you. Well, that, you know, that AJ comes with me from the film world we just finished recently uh, before the show. We, we filmed uh, a movie called Armed. Mm-hmm. And, um uh, you know, you, there's that old saying: there's nothing that stops a bad guy with a gun like a good guy with a gun. And I play a good guy with multiple guns at a very interesting time to, to you know, in our country where we're having some real questions about how we handle firearms,
3: mm-hmm. you know, Second
2: Amendment. <clears throat> so he came to me from that. We had done Arm together, and we'd done a couple other movies together. And I was like, try to. My big coup was to get him to do this with us, and. So he came in, <clears throat> and then you know, and part of that also is that in our set design. You know, we, we, you know, where there's always that thing you think about with old houses, like if these walls could talk. Well, Amy, our set decorator you know, designer, literally created the Hastings house out of reclaimed and reused pieces of houses, old houses from all across America, and um, so that was that was you know really wild to have that uh, so that the, you really feel that the house has a you know great history itself
0: and then um, the set dressing itself within within the Hastings house every little every picture on the wall everything sitting on every little tchotchke sitting on a shelf every book the alchemy room is amazing it's just there is no detail too small in this production
2: Thank you. Well part of did you see the episode where where we go into sort of Calvin's psyche courtesy of the dredge
3: mm-hmm. and
2: and 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 B is um B is painting. <laughs> some of going over some of Arlo's artwork. And um all that art you know, we got artwork from uh Marley, my son Marley, who's got this great sort of haunted sense of art and I thought, how, how am I going to use this kid's art? It's so wild, <laughs> and so we built you know built that in part of the the backstory was that bees is you know bee's an artist, and Arlo, who was killed early on, is also an artist, and then she makes this very cutting remark about Calvin, which is that um you know that that he's an artist too, except for killing is his canvas, mhm. And, you know, so it was, it was, it's a really, all these layers are are fought out and, uh, um, and then the whole th- the mythology with the Ring of Solomon and how we get that. Um, so I hope we get to do, I hope we get to tell more stories because there is a lot of rich, you know, great folklore and superstition in this country. And we, uh, we, we had a lot of fun playing with it, man.
0: Well, I mean, but there is no, you have no stone unturned in here, but I've got to ask you, because you direct eight episodes and you've been involved from the ground up, you know, how, how well does Mario, the actor take direction from Mario, the director? I mean, this, you know, this is important.
2: Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I've been doing this. I Sort of grew up doing it. I sort of grew up seeing my dad. You know, he did "Sweet, Sweet Packs, Badass Song" in 1971. So that be and that became the uh, top-grossing independent hit of that year, outgrossing "Love Story," et cetera, et cetera. And it had a multi, you know, culty crew and a multi-culty cast. And my dad was director, writer, producer, actor. And in my family, when you, when you grow up in in a family like that, you get used to. Um, doing everything. You get used to carrying cables, you get used to editing, you get mm-hmm. used to, it's all a part of the zen of family <laughs> filmmaking. So there's no area that you go, oh, well, I can't do that, or I would never do that, or, you know, so you, you know, so it all becomes a part of what we do.
3: It's mm-hmm. all holistic,
2: it's all connected. Later on, you realize, oh, these are separate jobs, and, you know, one union covers that, and you can't touch this because another guy does that, and that makes sense, you know, another gal does this, Um you know so so that then you you know that 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 becomes a whole separate thing but i think i find that my best acting is when i am reacting mm-hmm. you know so so i will if like you're in this conversation right now someone might say how would you how are you steering this conversation but you're also having this conversation it's actually in some ways easier because you're you know what question you want to ask <clears throat> I don't know what question you're going to ask and so you get this immediacy and sometimes as an actor I'll be asked a question by something that another actor did or prompted by something something Mm -hmm. else someone else did and I'm not down the street or down the block watching from a monitor I'm right there in the mix and I find that um, Mario the actor is right there with them and that the director is setting up an environment for the actors on Superstition to do their best work and then we just Come in and do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so it's you know it's and all, you know even in, in like when I did Heartbreak Bridge with Clint Eastwood, he's actor director and you know he found a way to to sort of do that. Um, and then there are other times. You know, the other thing is that I've had the, the great fortune of um, being directed by really good directors. You have <laughs> most most actors don't get to do that where they you know they get to. They get to be directed by Francis Ford Coppola or Clint Eastwood or Michael Mann or Ava DuVernay or you know many um, uh, many many great directors, and then uh, from that you learn you learn, and and some directors that maybe weren't so good you know so you learn you go oh wow <laughs> hey I can mess it up as good as as this guy can or a gal can or whatever, <laughs> so, and that's what he, Clint Eastwood said encouraged him he said well hell if this Joker could do it you know so. You know, it's like seeing showgirls. You see showgirls, you go, wait a minute, they got that released? Okay, I can make a movie.
0: <laughs> no, that's when you go, oh, my God, they got financing for that. <laughs> right, right. that, that so, that's so our first hurdle.
2: It doesn't mean, you, you know, my my sense of, I try to tell this to my kids, my sense of self is not just about, it's not thinking I'm better than anybody else. It's just thinking maybe I'm not a whole lot worse. <laughs> 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 and you, therefore, I can work on being better, you know.
0: <laughs> you know, Mario, don't ever um, don't ever sell yourself short. You are a very intuitive director, but not only that, nothing escapes your eye and your level of attention to detail. And you know, the devil is always in the details.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: And that's you. what really sets your direction apart from others. And I see that in the episodes that you directed and and other projects that you've done. And I just think, you know, to see with Superstition, have all of your talents come together here? It's a testament to your skill as a director, as a writer, as an actor, as a producer, knowing to surround yourself with the right people on top of it. Um, And I just, I sincerely hope that sci-fi picks up Superstition for season two, because it is a phenomenal series.
2: I really appreciate your saying that. and one thing that means a lot is that you 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 come in knowing it and really having looked at it, you know one of the things I was impressed when i we talked before is that the layers you see you know you really you know the the little the little clues and the little things would happen like even b's character that that is never comfortable with infernals winds up at the end having to think differently about mm-hmm. you know what infernals can do um. You know, and, and, and evolution, like that one, one when, when Isaac tells Calvin, his son, and Calvin says, Dad, at the end, and he, Calvin knows he's, he's really facing some big, big dilemmas coming, mm-hmm. up, and, and he says, Dad, I love you, and, and Isaac says, man, he says, you know, my father, your grandfather, always said there are three kinds of people, they are yesterday people. You know, people that think, oh, we had so much fun yesterday. We were healthy and beautiful yesterday. If we were here last week or yesterday, it would have been awesome. And there are tomorrow people who think, man, I can't wait to get this job tomorrow, graduate tomorrow, lose weight tomorrow, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. tomorrow people. And there are very few today people that go, right now, this moment is the gift, and that's why they call it the present. And that's something my dad and I had talked about, and I just brought it home and with Joel and I. We brought it into... Something that Isaac would say, so it actually, in a lot of ways, is a lot of philosophy and and other people 's points of view as well, yeah. but there 's a lot of us in it, um, down to what Robin does with her character when we mm-hmm. her times, and you know we, we do things a certain way or when when you know what Garvey does, um, all those little details mm-hmm. in superstition pay off you know?
0: well unfortunately, my friend, I have to let you go. For, hey, our, okay. for, for our next guest, uh, another, a director who did her first documentary. Um, but I can't, I can't thank you enough. Hopefully, next time we talk, it's going to be to talk about season two. All righty. Wish this luck. But in the meantime, everybody, sci-fi.com backslash superstitions, backslash episodes, and you can see all 12. And trust me, you're going to binge watch them.
2: <laughs> all righty oh mario
0: okay. thank you so much my friend and i will big talk hug, to my you dear. soon big hug same to you right. bye-bye
2: okay bye-bye
0: and that was mario van peoples see it see it see it people because whether this series gets picked up again it is in the fans hands and now welcome to the wonderful lisa france hello lisa welcome to behind the lens Hi. Did, I did, How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Um, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. Are you having trouble or? Okay. No. Yeah,
4: I, I'm fine. I'm just, a, I went forward when you're down the street. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> no, we've got you. If Pam, Pam can play with, with little numbers and if she's making a funny face in the engineering booth, I'll let you know. Uh.
4: <laughs> okay,
0: but I've got to say... Yeah, I'm, doing, I'm prepping a new,
4: another movie right now, and I'm on set, and I'm standing outside. So I apologize if it's noisy.
0: Oh, that's okay. Well, congratulations on Roll With Me. Talk about an endeavor. I, it, 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 number, this is just amazing that you actually pulled this off. Number one, shooting. But number two, you went through 4,000 hours of footage to cull it down to a workable documentary. It was a little crazy.
4: I uh, that took that took the most amount of time, to be honest.
0: Oh, I can imagine. That was uh,
4: that, that was oh yeah, that was a very very long process. And you know, we had like many filmmakers. We had no budget, so it was just me. And um, you know, I think once I got through the footage, I I knew. And I called Gabe, Gabe Gabriel Cordell, who who did the push across America. I called him and I said, you know, hey, I, I just
0: Well, you know, we have a story, I need to now as an editor. How did, you know, where did this idea come from to actually make this documentary? Because you've also got, your subject is Gabriel Cordell. Gabe was not a trained athlete. You being a former basketball player and stunt woman, you know about physical training and being ready to embark on something like pushing your wheelchair across the United States. So, you know, I'm curious, yeah. how did yeah, the, I did, <laughs> you know, so how did this come to you and what did you think when it's like, did you like slap yourself or see a psychiatrist first and say, am I really going to do this?
4: <laughs> that was exactly. What I, did. I, I actually told a lot of my friends and family, I said, hey, that guy's a nut. He's going to try and push his wheelchair across America. He's like a career smoker, drug addict, 40-something years old, arthritis. Injury. I'm sure he'll make it like 50 feet.
3: Um, and
4: uh, I, I didn't know what to expect at all. But, you know, when I met him, there was just something about him that told me this dude, he could make it. I don't know why I thought that because there's just absolutely zero ends that would lend us that information. But I just thought he could make it. Um, at first, it was very tough for me because I am a, I am a former professional athlete and I am used to training schedules and that sort of stuff. That just wasn't going to happen here. good schedule wasn't happening. <laughs> This schedule was going to be whenever he get up and go. That's when we get would get up and roll. And I told my family that I wasn't going to do it. I said it's too, too crazy. I don't want to do it. And they all said you have to do it. Well, and I said why?
0: <laughs> and their their reason their reason.
4: <laughs> I you know at the end of the day, I and I, I talked about this in the film a little bit. I am very attracted to pioneer. I, you know, I, I look back on my life and the people that have moved me in life have been, you know, people like Sally Rod and Jesse Owens and, you know, just just people that just everyone said, no, you can't. And they said, yes, I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was attracted to that. And no one had ever done this before. So I was like, you know what? Probably not going to make it too far, but let's get it there and try. Mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we had no money, and so we just got a bunch of volunteers, got some sponsors, you know, like West Coast Chill, and uh, I don't know, I got to YM. jumped in and helped out a lot. The, um, you know, Connecta, a credit union, uh, they just put, like, emblems on our stuff, like our shirts and our car, and they gave us a couple bucks. So we have to get out of town.
3: Mm-hmm. And then...
4: It was really the kind of strangers along the way that made it possible, to be honest.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, what I, find and, what I find interesting is that Gabriel didn't even have, you know, a custom-fitted uh, wheelchair. He didn't have, no. he, he just had <laughs> a regular, it's not like he went and saw Ernie Espinosa or some of the guys who do all the custom wheelchair stuff. He just had a regular, no. he just had a regular old wheelchair and that I, that, found, is correct. that blew my mind that he would even, yeah, attempt that was this.
4: Kind of, it was kind of crazy. Like you, you know, and of course, until you actually sit in a wheelchair and if anybody who's listening has never sat in a wheelchair and tried pushing themselves up a hill, um, or go or even more scary, going down a hill with no brakes, no extra wheel, no steering,
3: mm-hmm. no uh,
4: you know the circumference push that that's a big part of the deal, right yeah, so, so his was the entire size of the wheel, whereas a lot of these roll bars a little a little weight push, and the whole wheel goes around,
3: mm-hmm. So
4: he didn't have any of that stuff, no parachutes, no nothing special thing motors, just a regular chair that you know, uh, I would call a mobile paraplegic would get, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be, they would be given after, you know, after they became as mobile as possible again. Sure.
0: You know, and of course you, you, I understand you're riding a bicycle going along (laughs) with him trying to shoot. Yeah. How, how does this it might work? be the first might it might be the first
4: movie ever shot from a
3: bicycle
0: <laughs> you know how how does this work lisa you're on a bicycle you at least have either hand brakes or foot brake unlike game who doesn't have brakes but you're also trying to shoot something while you're trying to stay on the road and keep up with him i can't even imagine this
4: Well, you know, again, there was no book, there was no system, there was no, you know, we're going to go 3,100 miles, up 70,000 feet of elevation, and try to go as fast as possible um, with no rule book. You know, there wasn't any information how to cover this or shoot this. And to be honest with you, Debbie, I really wasn't thinking about the documentary. I was really just thinking about if he was to be okay, yeah. If that makes sense. So my my prime reason for riding next to him was to ensure that he had water, that he had snacks. So I would like carry a lot of the snacks and food on my bicycle in my basket or in my backpack, mm-hmm. and to make sure he was safe. Now our car was never more than five miles away, but even still, you just never know. Like That's I, it. can you imagine if something happened to him and no one was there? Mm-hmm. So that was my primary function originally, and then as we started to get the hang of things, I thought, you know, I could shoot for this stuff, mm-hmm. so I started to keep, um, uh, like, three different little tiny cameras in my, um, I had a little basket on the front of my bike, and then I also had, a, like, a shoulder bag, and I carried some stuff in there, and then I had GoPros, I used my iPhone, I mean, I could only keep small things, I couldn't carry, like, the proper camera or anything.
0: Right.
3: So...
4: That's how we did it. And then, you know, I gave guys uh, in the RV, I gave them cameras and then I had these really old Yankee ass cameras that were crap. I gave them these D V X one hundreds.
0: Oh my and, god. Uh, the
4: number that we had.
0: <laughs> oh my they god. Took <laughs> they took tape. <cable>. They took tape. Oh my <laughs> God. You know, but you know, I'm curious, you've got all these different formats. <laughs> And then you've got to sit down at the end of this with your four thousand hours. How do you find your through line and start developing a coherent story? Well, you know, my editor Jeff Buccioletto, who
4: was officially was sent to me from God. I swear, he's straight from heaven. He um, he was great. He took my outline, which was pretty lame. And hit the scenes I had, um, I had binned all the footage that I knew would cut into a theme. And I just started with a linear, with, with the linear version. I'm like, okay, if we start on day one and go all the way through, what's the best meat?
3: Mm-hmm. So
4: I just, when I went through all the 4,000 hours and I found like a speed roll game and everything, thank God, everything was time stamped, So we did know what day things were shot, um, except for the stuff on tape. Oh,
3: God. <laughs> and,
4: and, and we were just throwing tapes in the movie. Like, it was, you know, like, you know, we didn't have a DIT or anyone organizing footage. We didn't have an editor. We, we didn't have an assistant. We didn't have a story producer. We didn't, and we shot for 120 days.
0: Oh, my God. Oh. I shot
4: 100 days on the road, and then I had 20 days of extra, stuff you know, like before we left and yeah. stuff. The sort of after, and then you know, just cl- kind of cleaning up at the end. Um, yeah, it was a it was a lot
0: of work. You know, something God, that God, you, something that you did um, so often with documentaries of this nature not riding on bicycles and trying to shoot and uh, pushing wheelchairs, but documentaries that are going on a journey. They're interspersed and peppered with a lot of talking head interviews. You don't do that. You real
4: you that was one my actually thank you, thank you because that was actually one of my goals. And I I did everything I could to avoid that because I prefer verite. I think verite is beautiful and mm-hmm. good thing about our films is you. If I had to cast these characters, you wouldn't believe that they exist, right? No. Would you ever believe that, like? <laughs> got a guy with ptsd a guy with asperger's who's homeless you've got the palestinian drug addicts you've got this w- white aryan dude who's a former cokehead. you've got the jewish guy with daddy issues and you got the lesbian what could go wrong did
3: <laughs> nah
0: nothing nothing <laughs> i mean th- you know that's that that's the first that's the first group you're going to gravitate towards to hi- to bring on <laughs> right. you know
4: Exactly. It was just so crazy. I was like, none of us knew each other. We didn't know that. We weren't friends or anything. And uh, everyone just had, you know, everyone had a great heart. You mm-hmm. so know, Christian link Chris Yankee, Josh Streeter, Dirk Gibbs, me, Gabe, Chris Cowis, like all the guys, all of them, everything about them, all, ha- they all had a heart.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And at the end of the day, all of our City behaviors and problems and qualms.
3: But
4: it didn't. It didn't take away the goodness in everybody, and I thought that was the most paramount thing that kept us all together. And not one drill by the way, not a punch thrown. Wow.
0: And no medical emergency. Yeah, you would think
4: shoving. There would have been some. oh uh, yeah, we did have a couple. We did have a couple medical emergencies. Okay.
0: I was. I was going to say they weren't
4: the guys fighting. <laughs>
0: I just just can't believe you actually pulled this off. But, you know, I'm curious because this was your first documentary, correct? You've done narrative, but this was your first doc. Yes, ma'am. What was that logistic learning curve of a director like for you, coming off a narrative and jumping into a documentary?
4: I liken it to this. You you know those puzzles you get. like a picture of the, the Eiffel Tower or something on it. It says a mm-hmm. thousand pieces. And then, you, you know, you look at the picture and you put it together, right? Right. Well, that's, that's like a feature. That's, a, that's a, a standard feature. You have a screenplay. You follow the screenplay. Then you take the pieces and you put it together and you just mix it up to the screenplay.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: With a documentary... You get a black box or a white box or a green box, whatever box, and a question mark. And it says 20 million pieces could be put together in 100 million different
0: ways. Good luck. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my.
4: So documentary, documentary filmmakers are my heroes. I I have learned a great deal. I've learned a lot about how to You know, I just have learned a deep, deep appreciation for for what doc filmmakers do. And I learned so much. Thank goodness I had friends along the way that have helped me uh, to get it to the place where it is. But I think at the end of the day, if you're a storyteller, you're a storyteller, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Absolutely. And you just find the story. Even when you shoot something that has a screenplay, you're still trying to find the best story oftentimes.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: So I feel like... For me, that was no. There was no. Uh, the difference is finding it. When you have the script, you know what it is. When you when you're making a doc, you're finding it, and and things keep revealing themselves. Like, did I think that bringing a kid who was no day sober off a of crystal meth and coke was a good idea? Uh, probably not. <laughs> But as you know, if you you saw the film, you know it ends up being a very important part of the story.
0: It's it's an exceedingly important part of the story because Gabe isn't just, he brings his nephew along and you see this real mentorship start, develop, develop between the two of them. And by the end, you really believe that his nephew Christopher, he is going to clean up his act. That mm-hmm. he's not going yep. to, he will not revert back to being an addict and being a gangbanger that he really, he is now on a path and it's, it's exciting to see that unfold. It's not like a talking heads movie where you have people, you see them sitting in self-help groups or recovery groups, uh, but here you actually see the process on a daily basis. And it was really interesting to watch that because Gabriel himself wasn't that was not too long before that in a very similar place
4: exactly no it's 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 um i feel like the film is a lot about mentorship it's about you know the fellowship among brothers it's about family it's about this country and who we are when we need to be and um you know it's very inspiring and touching and I think we need a film like our film. I think Mm -hmm. Roll With Me is the type of film that people need to watch right now. We're kind of a little bit divided. We're kind of getting a little clunky. You know, I I just think that, I mean, I made this film to help people. That's why I made it. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to me that people feel inspired. They feel that regardless of whether they just had a rough day and can't, don't feel like going to work, that maybe this film will be like, you know what? My life's all right. I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can get out. I can make it happen. And if you're going for something big and you've been afraid to try it, you know, maybe the film will push you over to do it. We've had people come right up to us and say that the film has changed their lives and that it's important and children should watch it. And, you know, kids dealing with abuse and the families dealing with abuse and people who have family members who are differently abled should see it. Like, and, and we're just, we're so humbled, you know. It's very humbling
3: mm-hmm.
0: to
4: have this many people have this reaction to it.
0: And you've been on the festival circuit with this for a while. And you got, you're getting standing room only, standing ovations at all of your screenings.
4: Yeah. It's been, again, very humbling. We've won uh, audience awards. Um, you know, just it, it, it's just been... Uh, you know, you never know what you're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. You just toss it out there and do the best you can. And and so far, like I said, we feel very blessed and humbled by what we've been able to attain so far. And, you know, what we, we're now just looking for our distribution. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of conversations. CAA is repping our film.
3: Oh, wow. And,
4: you know, for people who are, yeah, it's great. For people who are listening that want to know more about Roll With Me, they can just go to com mm-hmm. and at Roll With Me. USA on Facebook. And, you know, I update all that stuff myself. And, you know, we're, we're scooching along here. We're a baby film that, 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 you know, is a little, little gritty, little down and dirty, but has a giant epic message,
0: you know, and for filmmakers out there, I mean, this is really guerrilla filmmaking at its finest. It, it, it truly is. Yeah. I, it's you know there, this this is gorilla. This is what guerrilla filmmaking is all about: is making a film like it, Roll with Me.
4: Yeah, it's very very guerrilla. It's the biggest stunt I've ever done.
0: <laughs> so so now I've got i got to ask you, Lisa, before before we run out of time on the show today, I've got to ask you: What did you personally? What did you learn about yourself, take away as a director, that you will now take forward into your future projects, into the one you're shooting now, into the, your, the ones you'll do in the future? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing
4: this movie for Cartel Productions right now. Great little company, does lots of different stuff. And I'm doing a little teeny baby low-budget thriller for them.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And, you know, I'm going to shoot this thing in 12 days. And at the end of the day, I want to give them the best product I can within these little tiny days that I have. And I even told the producer today, I said, listen, I just made a movie with a camera and me and a guy. Like, I don't, all this other stuff is bonus. (laughs) So I just feel Grateful for every light that I'm going to have, for every additional personnel I have. Um, I think we have to remember to tell a story these days. All we need is an iPhone and a laptop.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I
4: think storytellers should keep that in mind when they get all freaked out and flustered about, you know, you need your subject, whatever that is, or whoever they are, if they're actors or they're real life you know, people were following around. Uh and you know, you need them and you need your camera and you need, you know, your computer to edit on. I mean that that's where we are now. But it, That's extraordinary.
0: It, what a it, gift. It, it really is. And you know, as you said, you know, so many so many filmmakers or first time directors who think they need so much. They need stuff. You don't need stuff. You really don't need the Not stuff. Not really. The stuff that you need is you know. the inherent ability to tell a story and the desire to do it.
4: Yeah, well, that's the key right there. You, Debbie, you just nailed it right on the head because, um, you know, I got to work with some really great storytellers like Tom Beers, who's our executive producer. He did Deadliest Catch and Ice Road Chuckers, You know, Georgia Fox, who's been an actress, but she's made several documentaries yep. herself. So she understands story. Sharon Swart, my producer, she's been telling mm-hmm. stories for her whole life. I've got my editor. Gabe's a great storyteller. He also can write. I mean, we have, you know, Jerry Cattell, who's an incredible storyteller. I have all these great storytellers on my team, and it's just really up to you to take all the advice and information that you get from everybody and say, you know what, this, this works. Yeah. This works. At the end of the day, though, it's you. If you're the director... You need to choose and say, you know what, the buck stops here. These are all great ideas, and these are the ones that are resonating the most.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you have definitely, and we've had we did test screenings too. So, well, you definitely you took all the right ideas to put this together. <laughs> um, roll with it. I'm amazed. I am just, I am utterly amazed about the process that you Thank went you. through to make this. And then seeing the finished product, it is a film. It is a very empowering film. It's a powerful film. And it's one that I hope a smart distributor is going to pick up on very soon so that more people can see the film.
4: Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, yeah, just have people go to RollWithMeTheMovie.com if they want to know more.
0: Well, Lisa, thank you so, so much. I hope you'll come back on the show again. Like Yeah, maybe one, once we finally get our distribution, I I'll was come just back
4: on and talk about how it's
0: going. I was just going to say that when we get a distribution deal. Uh,
4: awesome. Thank you, Debbie. Lisa,
0: thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again and your little baby thriller that you're doing now. Yeah, fun. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Lisa France. Roll with me. If it's still in the festival circuit, if it's near you, see it. Roll with me the movie.com. You can find out where it's playing and keep up on when it gets to just a distribution deal near you. That is all the time we have today. Again, um, huge thank you to Mario Van Peoples for joining us for Lisa France. Um, another. Very incredible couple of of talents with us next week. Jay Silverman is going to be with us and Ethan Warren talking about their films and mark your calendars because Mark Pellington is with us on February 19th. I'm very, very excited that uh, Mark is locked in and he's going to be doing the show. A dear friend and an incredible, incredible director. So. That's all the time we have. Until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.